following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I know you found this true that it's often really an axiom in our lives that we hear what we want to hear, correct? Uh, We often hear what you know, we're trying to draw out of a conversation. Uh, you hear somebody say, marriage is a blessing, and marriage is the most intimate of all relationships, and boy, marriage is the grace of life, and you're like, yeah, yeah, all true, but it's not the whole picture. Marriage takes a lot of work. Can I hear an amen? It does, and constant maintenance. Marriage doesn't transform you like salvation does. Marriage doesn't make it easier for you to be more devoted to Christ like singleness can. Marriage doesn't remove your bent of sin, your war with your own flesh, the allurement of the world, and the temptations of the devil. In fact, marriage doesn't automatically make life simpler, sometimes makes it really complicated, and marriage definitely doesn't always make life romantic the way it's presented. You know, understand... Everybody also has an opinion about marriage. You know, this psychologist says this, our friends say that, this older couple says this, and what we really need as Christians is to hear from what God says, what God articulates, because Jesus Christ is actually the architect who designed marriage. It's His plan. He laid it out in the Scripture. It makes sense, doesn't it, that you would study His Word and understand his plan for marriage because he's the one who designed it. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. Well, thank you all three of you. So today is going to be an imperative phrase. It's six words in English, four words in Greek. It's like faith. It's like love. Absolutely essential to your spiritual life. And here's the deal. You cannot mature without it. You can't overcome your sin issues without it. You can't become like Christ without this phrase. Your marriage will never be what God expects it to be in Christ. And the phrase that I'm going to highlight today, that we're going to exposit today, is actually the number one key command in marriage and in all Christian relationships. It is the phrase that is found in Ephesians 5.18, and the phrase is six words in English, but be filled with the what? Spirit. Now, I know you men love power tools. Can I hear a grunt? Thank you very much. And I know you ladies love your power appliances. But interesting enough, there's nothing more frustrating when the power doesn't work to your electric machine. So you're moving that vacuum cleaner right back and forth, but no power's on, and really you're actually doing more damage than good, right? Interesting enough, that's exactly what a Christian is like and a marriage is like when you're not filled with the Spirit. You're pushing that vacuum back and forth, but the power is not on. And it actually does not accomplish any good. That's you. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. You cannot have a godly marriage without the resources of Christ, and you cannot maintain healthy friendships on your own. The moment that you submitted to Jesus Christ in salvation, you were indwelt, you were filled, you were 
Basically, having the Holy Spirit come to live within you, there is no Christian in this room who does not have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 makes that very clear. Look at your outline. It says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? You don't belong to Him. You're not a Christian. Yet, I've heard people pray, oh God, send your Spirit. Or God, give me more of your Spirit, as if the Spirit comes in parts or doses. Understand, friends, the third person of the Trinity is a person. He doesn't come in parts. He lives within you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is what? In you. But you'll not experience His life or His power or His strength in and through you unless you are filled with the Spirit. The same God who created the universe, authored the Scriptures, ministered to the Lord while He was on earth, continues to convict the world of sin. This same Holy Spirit indwells every Christian in this room. The Spirit is the one who regenerated you, especially calling you to faith in order for you to turn to Christ. It's at the point of salvation He sealed you, securing you forever as a child of God. He baptized you, immersing you within the body of Christ so that you're now one with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And now as a Christian, you are to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is the only way to glorify God. It's the only way to know God's power. It's the only way to please God in marriage and in friendships and relationships. The same Spirit who indwells you can also fill you. Every true Christian is indwelt with the Spirit, but not every Christian, every moment, is filled with the Spirit. Let me put it to you this way, maybe you want to write this down. To be indwelt means you have all of the Spirit. To be filled means the Spirit has all of you. I'll say it again. To be indwelt, which every Christian is, means you have all of the Spirit. To be filled means the Spirit has all of you. Why is being filled with the Spirit so important to marriage? and friendships, well, God tells us in Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians teaches you that we as a church under the sovereignty of God are to practice our position. Our position is described in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. The practice is described in chapters 4, 5, and 6, and the practice is described as a walk. He uses the word walk multiple times referring to your lifestyle, your practice of your Christian faith. You're supposed to have a loving walk. Uh, You're supposed to have a worthy walk. And then now in verse 15 of chapter 5, he wants you to have a wise walk. Now, I'm going to use a little extra technology today. We're kind of dipping our toe in it today. So up on the screen, hopefully you'll see this passage laid out with some emphasis. And this is what I want you to read from this or your outline. It's the same version. Verses 15 through 21. Let's read it together so you kind of get the context and understand it. It says this, starting in verse 15. Everyone together. Therefore, be careful how you walk. I'll start again and let's all try from your outline. Here we go. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now the only way Paul teaches here to be wise in your lifestyle, the only way to be wise in your Christian walk, verse 15, is to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. So I want to ask and answer five questions about this very important moment-by-moment commitment. So question number one in your outline is, why is this so crucial? Why is being filled with the Spirit so crucial to you? Now, there are some Christians in this room right now that are afraid of the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, oh, they're going wacky here at Faith Bible Church. No. Reformed churches tend to focus on the Father. Dispensational churches tend to focus on the Son. Charismatic churches tend to focus on the Spirit. But we, as a church, believe that we worship a triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. And therefore, we want to get to know all three persons of the Trinity. Amen? We do. And therefore, we want to understand how important this is to our sanctification and to our marriage. You say, Chris, you kind of talk about this a lot. Yes, I will. And yes, I will continue to do so. We want to make sure you understand the gospel. We understand that you are in Christ. But then as a Christian, the most important thing you can understand is how God changes you, how God sanctifies you, how God makes you into his son. And we're talking about that today, which happens to be the most important thing in marriage. It happens to be the most important command in marriage. If you're going to have an incredible marriage, it's going to be that you're going to seek to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, I want you to see this quote by John MacArthur here on the overhead. Basically, he writes, to resist the filling and control of the Holy Spirit is flagrant what? No, no, no. Say it with, like you mean it. It's what? Disobedience. To deny or minimize its importance is to stand rebelliously against the clear teaching of God's Word. We need to know this. In fact, the only way my preaching right now can actually please God is if I'm filled with the Spirit. And the only time your worship today and your reception of God's Word is actually going to count for eternity and actually make an impact in your life is you're filled with the Spirit. We as Christians are to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. Now, why else is it crucial to you and your marriage and your walk with the Lord? Well, look at the fruit it produces. Look at verses 19 to 21. Being filled produces 19, immediate praise, mutual ministry, inner joy, gratitude, and a servant's heart of submission. It's important for us this morning because the fruit and the power of the Spirit in our marriage relationships and in our relationships is directly linked. If you look at verse 22 of Ephesians 5, and you see how Ephesians 5.18 and then the fruit of being filled with the Spirit, ends in verse 21 as it transitions to verse 22. Those are linked. You can't see it in the English, but in the Greek language, they are interconnected, telling you that you actually need the filling of the Spirit in order to accomplish verses 22 to 33. The most lengthy instruction in the Bible on marriage, verses 22 to 33, in the entire Bible is basically premised by, you must be filled with the Spirit. Telling you, you cannot have a godly marriage. Telling you that you cannot have the kind of marriage that you're hoping to have unless you are, answer, filled with the Spirit. It's the first command of marriage. It is the first command of relationships. 
In fact, think about it. Not only is it required, it's a blessing. We've been studying Galatians. We're not in chapter 5 yet, but the filling of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, who doesn't want to develop a friendship or live with a spouse who is known for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Man, what a woman that would be, huh? What a husband that would be. Or maybe you're considering the person you want to marry. As a college pastor, I actually pastored 800 collegians at one time, and the gals would tell me what they're looking for in a guy. You've heard me say this before. He's got to be 6'2". He's got to have blue eyes. He's got to have blonde hair. And, and really, a convertible Porsche would be nice. And it was funny to me what they ended up with. Five, one, four eyes, bald, and drives a scooter. You know, I, that's unbelievable. But listen, you want to you die happy? Marry somebody who's committed to seeking to be filled with the Spirit all the time. Again, who wouldn't want to live with somebody who's continually seeking to love, continually seeking to manifest joy, continually seeking to be kind and good? That's why it's the first command of marriage. And most importantly, if you're not in the Spirit, you're in the flesh, which means... Basically, when you're not in the Spirit, you're living by your own strength. When you're living in the Spirit, you're living by God's strength. And that's why it's the first command. Meaning this, the only way to glorify God, live by faith, and please the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, one commentator said, unless a Christian is filled with the Spirit, quote, he or she will live in spiritual weakness, frustration, and defeat. It is absolutely crucial that you pursue living moment by moment filled with the Spirit. Well, number two in your outline, what's required to be filled with the Spirit? What's required? Now, this was last week. Understand, when you interpret the Bible, when you read the Bible, you never want to take a passage or a paragraph or even a verse out of its context. So we're going to be looking at next week, verses 22 to 33, on marriage. And understand, you can't really grab a hold of that passage until you understand the whole letter of Ephesians. And that's why we looked at it last week. We didn't want to yank it out. So don't be one, in the overhead again, who is ignoring God's sovereign purpose for your marriage. Don't be one who's minimizing from chapter 2 your sinfulness and your desperate need for God's grace every moment of every day. Chapter 3, don't be overlooking the incredible love of God to fill your life. Listen, this is the big mistake of most people's marriages today. They're saying, I married you so you could fill my gaps. You could fill my hole, this hole that I have in my heart. And God said, that was never meant to be. It was me, God, who is to fill your heart and satisfy your longing and fill the gaps in your life with my love. And you're then to share that with your spouse. That's how he designed it. Chapter 4, you don't want to be avoiding interconnectedness to the church family because the older women need to train the younger women to love their husbands and same thing with the guys. And then chapter 6, you don't want to be elevating your children over your marriage. All of those are absolutely essential before you even get to filling of the Spirit. But your marriage can't function biblically in Ephesians 5 without Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 functioning. And because marriage requires, write this down, supernatural power. Your marriage requires supernatural power to thrive. Before Paul even describes marriage in 22 to 33, he describes the key command for God's power in all relationships, especially marriage, in 
15 all the way through 21, focusing particularly on verse 18. So it's crucial for you. There are some prerequisites. Number three in your outline, then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean? Well, consider your marriage. Consider your friend group. Would you admit that there are times that your marriage is really easy? That you just are getting along and it's great? And would you admit that there are times in your friendships and in your marriage that it's really, really hard work? Anybody with me? Okay, no, no elbows today. Okay, just admit it. All right. You know why they're especially difficult? Because you, as a Christian, constantly have to fight yourself. It's not them that's the issue. It's you Your flesh, your desires, your pride, your selfishness. Then add another person to that mess and you've got quite a mess. Understand, this battle that you have with you isn't finished until heaven. So it never gets old. You can't microwave and fix it. You can't make a single decision and make it go away. They take time and effort and so does being filled with the Spirit. In fact, being filled doesn't mean a spiritual zap where you get a permanent high. It doesn't mean a dry choice of your will where you're grinding out obedience to the Word of God. The Greek word for filled, now watch, we're going to take this phrase, but be filled with the Spirit, and we're going to look at it from every angle as an expositor should to bring out every truth that's here. So the first thing we're going to look at is the meaning of the word. How is be filled with the Spirit used in the New Testament? Well, it's three ways that's found in the New Testament, this word filled. Filled is used to describe the wind filling the sails of a sail ship. Do you got that picture clear in mind? That's what moves the sail ship along, driving it towards harbor. Well, filling of the Spirit is the same way. It's the Spirit, when our sails are up, filling us and driving us towards obedience to God's Word and Christ-likeness. Secondly, it means permeation and saturation. Now, Often, I, you know, eat with people, and I see that, notice, they'll take salt, and they'll put it on their veggies, or they'll put it on their steak, and that flavor, that salt, permeates those veggies and that steak, right? It permeates it. Well, in the same way, the filling of the Spirit, when it says to fill the Spirit, it's to permeate your life. You ever had one of those, uh, what do they call those, airborne pills? You know what an airborne pill is? You take it before you go on the airplane, so you don't get every disease known to mankind, and uh, you, you basically are supposed to help you resist that, and you, it's like a fizzy. You stick it in a glass of water, and it bubbles up, and all the medicine saturates the water. Well, that's the Spirit of God. When He fills you, He wants to saturate you so that it's Him that's being manifested and not you, that it's Christ's character that's in you and through you, and that's the filling of the Spirit. The third way it's used in the New Testament, and you're very familiar with this, you can see this word filled is used when they said it was they were filled with fear. They were filled with anger, which means they were dominated by fear or dominated by anger. And that's how the word filled here in Ephesians 5.18 is actually used. It's used that we want the Spirit of God to dominate our lives, His character, His presence to come through, and not you. It, we want Him to be manifest and to be glorified and to be seen and so in a positive sense being filled is yielding our lives to the spirit in such a way that our thoughts and our actions are under his direction totally in line with his will which is found in his word so instead of screaming at your spouse you hold your tongue instead of accusing your spouse you 
trust. Instead of remaining hurt, you forgive. Instead of keeping a list, you forget. And love covers a multitude of sins. And you move on. And that's really the description of what He gives you as the Word is used in the New Testament. Now let's take it a step further and look at it in its immediate context. Take a look at the overhead again and you see the verse itself, 518, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now those two commands are in contrast to each other. Do not be drunk, but be filled. In contrast to wine that is controlling or dominating you, you are to be dominated or controlled by the Spirit of God. Now some believe that this was actually a reference in Ephesus to the false worship that the pagans had, the the non-Christians in Ephesus. They would go to the temple and they would get drunk and in that euphoric state they would consider that a form of worship. And he says, don't worship that way. I want you to worship under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we could add another shade to that, and that is that, that to be drunk is to be under the influence of alcohol. When you're drunk, you basically it affects your entire aspect of your life and every aspect. And so therefore, in contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit. Means be under the control of the Spirit, so the Spirit affects every aspect of your life. And then even another flavor that you might add to that is that people drink to escape. Don't drink he basically says, to get drunk here. Don't get drunk with wine. Uh, They want to forget their empty life. So Paul says, don't get drunk or don't watch TV or or don't eat or don't sleep in order to fill an empty life. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the point here is don't use your marriage. Don't use your friendships to fill your empty heart. It's God who's supposed to do that. And friends, depend on the Spirit is really what he's driving us to. So in its context, in its meaning, now let's look at the grammar of the verb filled and understand how it really points to its dramatic meaning. The literal rendering of the Greek text here, be filled, is be being kept filled. That's the phraseology here, and it's an imperative. That means you're commanded. Listen, are you ready? God has commanded you this morning to obey, and you as all Christians here need to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, not from me, but from God through the Apostle Paul to you. Literally, be being kept filled, a non-optional part of your Christian life, and absolutely essential to have a marriage fill out Ephesians 5, to 33. You've got to have this in place first. How often are you to be filled? It's present tense. It means continual, ongoing. That doesn't mean like, I'll start my day once trying to be filled with the Spirit, confessing all no sin and being relying upon Him. No, it's all throughout the day. All throughout the day, you're going to slip into the flesh and you want to be in the Spirit. So you constantly are doing this. It's like faith. Without it, you can't please God. It's like love. Without it, you're merely making a loud noise. Being filled is to be our goal with every word, every action, every attitude, especially when you drive, would you please, on the 15th. Okay? Just watch our parking lot after church today and you'll go, oh, there's a filled driver. Oh, there's a flesh driver. You can see it. Being filled is present tense all the time. How do you think my wife would like it if I said, honey, I'll love you again in a week or two? Think she's going to go for that? Or I'll love you. I used to love you about a month ago. No, Jean's not interested. She's interested in what? Right now. Right now. And present tense means right now. I love you right now. In fact, that would be like the new husband that gave his wife a mood ring, you know, to help him understand his bride. And it did. It left, a, a, you know, basically a, it turned green when she was in a good mood 
and it left an ugly mark on his face when she was in a bad news. So it helped him to really understand. Now, it's present tense new. Again, one more time, it's not a one-time decision that lasts forever or even that day. It's not a decision of super dedication. It's not an emotional experience. It's a moment by moment by moment by moment throughout every day. It is a present tense dependence. But who's it for? Again, the verb here, be filled, is not just an imperative. It's not just plural for everybody. I mean, uh, you know, present tense. But it is plural. It's for everyone all the time. In other words, you all are to be filled with the Spirit. It's for every Christian in Ephesus Church and every Christian here in FBC. It's plural means it's required of every marriage. Then the big question, how can I be filled with the Spirit? This is where it gets tricky. It's actually kind of fun. The verb to be filled, write it down, is passive. It's passive. If it were active, I would do it. If it were middle voice, I would act upon myself to accomplish it. It's passive, which means you can't do it. It must be done to you. Now, if you're thinking, you should be going, wait a minute. I was just given a command by God that I can't do. It has to happen to me. So he's commanding me to do this, but I can't do it. Isn't that weird? I think it's great. He basically is saying, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you're to yield to the Spirit. You're to desire, you obey, you expect, you respond, but you don't control the Holy Spirit as if you're in control. He is God and you and I are not. And therefore, we are the indwelling Spirit seeking His filling to submit to Him, to yield to Him. To depend on Him, desire Him, and then to obey His Word. Let me illustrate it this way, and maybe you've heard this before. If I brought my baseball glove here today and laid it on the platform right here, and I said to my baseball glove, play baseball, what's it going to do? Answer? Nothing. What requires is that I take my hand and I put it in the glove, and then it can play third base or right field where every baseball player should play. And that's what God expects and then it can play baseball. Now again, quoting John MacArthur up on the screen, a Christian can accomplish no more without being filled with the Spirit than a glove can accomplish without being filled with a hand. We desperately need the Spirit of God to accomplish our Christian life, let alone marriage. But this is the first step of marriage. It's not about fixing your marriage. It's not about fixing your spouse. It's about you being filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled people learn what God wants them to do in His Word, and then they yield themselves to the Spirit and dependently obey. They become instruments the Spirit can use to work through and display the character of God. Again, it's like my grandsons. You've heard me share this before. When they were one-year-old and they were two-year-old, they had a hard time walking. Any of your kids had a hard time walking? Remember that when they first start to walk, they, they kind of put their hands up to balance themselves? You, you remember that? Anybody? Am, am I alone here? What, what's going on? They, they do the Dr. Zayas walk, right? That's a reference to Planet of the Apes. You know, they just kind of walk funny. And so when I would walk with them at that stage, I would kind of put my hand here and they would reach up and grab my hand. And then they were able to walk. They would exercise their will and step out in obedience. They would go, yeah, I'm going to go this way. But the entire time, they're what? Hanging on. They're depending the whole time. That's what it means 
when that verb is passive and you can't do it, but God has to do it, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to step out by an act of my will, whether I feel like it or not, according to your word. I'm never going to go, you know, expect the spirit to fill me when I'm in disobedience, but only in obedience to the word. But the entire time I'm going to be depending on him, relying on him, trusting in him for whatever is going on in my life relying on him and that's exactly what the bible teaches in galatians 2 20 i have been crucified with christ now listen it is no longer what i who live but christ lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith that's depending on the son of god who loved me and delivered himself up for me i hang on dependently as i step out in obedience to the word of god Back to Ephesians 5. To be filled is the verb there. That verb is passive. You can't do it. It must happen to you. But you put yourself in a position to live in dependence, to desire his filling, to want him to work through you, for want him to be manifested, and you step out in obedience. And again, i got a million illustrations for pastors, and I think this one works for you as well. One of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, Every time, every single time, he would climb up his circular pulpit. Every step he took before he would preach the word, he would say this to himself, sometimes out loud, I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Spirit. With every step, I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Spirit. Because he knew that nothing was going to glorify God unless it was manifested in the filling of the Spirit, and nothing was going to infect anybody unless it was the Spirit of God that did it. Nothing's going to produce any fruit without that. And so he is trusting and the seeking, the filling, controlling as you proclaim God's word. Christian, you and I are to be being kept filled. So how does this work out in our marriage and in our friendships and in our lifestyle? Listen, one more time. You got to get salvation right. You got to get sanctification right. And today, sanctification is almost a non-talked about issue. You need to know this for everything in life, but particularly for marriage. What's the first command of marriage? Answer, filling the spirit. You almost got it. So you almost got an A, but you missed it. One more time. What's the first command in marriage? Fill the Spirit. Very first command. How do we do it? Number four in your outline, how can you be filled with the Spirit every moment? Now write this down in the margin of your Bible. Please write by Ephesians 5.18. Put the word P-A-S-S-S. Pass with an extra S on it. Past. This is the past of the Spirit-filled life. This is something I want to drive into your brain. I want you to remember this. Never forget it. It's so essential that you get this down. How can you and I be filled with the Spirit every day? Let's take a look at what the Bible says about how this is manifested. And again, we're looking at now the broader context through the whole New Testament here. Dwell on a, first in your outline, passage. Dwell in a passage means saturated in the Word of God. You say, Chris, where do you get that? I'm so glad you asked. Take a look at Ephesians 5:18 through 20. It says, "Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks." Now, if you understand your New Testament, you understand Ephesians and Colossians are written about the same time to different audiences, written by the Apostle Paul. They're parallel books. When you study one, you want to look at the other. And so the parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16. And in that passage, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Now listen, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does that sound familiar to you? The fruit 
of being filled with the Spirit is almost exactly the same as the fruit of letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, drawing the conclusion that part of being filled with the Spirit, part of yielding to God to have that Spirit work through you, is to have the Word of God literally be at home to dwell in you in your hearts. We need to be saturated in the Word. We need the glasses that we look through to be the Word of God in order to be filled with the Spirit. Your thoughts, which drive your behavior, are to be centered on the Word, saturated in the Word, focused on the Word. Your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, but your marriage is to be learning the Word, studying the Word, meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, speaking the Word, talking about the Word with each other, living the Word of God. I cannot tell you how healthy it is to be, have the privilege of studying God's Word every week and to be able to talk about that with my wife and have her be studying these obscure Old Testament passages to teach our kids, the K-1, on the Word of God. We're talking about the Word all the time. It's a part of what is a healthy home. Your thoughts, which drive your behavior, need to be centered, focused, and saturated. Attending a healthy church can help. It can help a lot. But it cannot force the Word to be at home in your heart. Your marriage must learn to be saturated in the Word every day, in every situation, in order to be filled with the Spirit. You and your spouse need to make choices. Choices to filter every issue, every decision, every relationship, every child, your marital issues, every attitude through God's Word first you're, until you're so saturated that you kind of do it automatically. What do we mean by that? Some of you drink tea. I'm not a tea drinker. But you get that hot water and you stick that bag in there and you kind of move it up and down or you let it seep there for a while. And all of a sudden that water turns into what? Tea. It's no longer water, it's tea. It's always going to be tea. And that's what he's saying. When the Spirit of God and the Word of God begin to saturate your life, it's more of Him and less of you. It becomes tea. He wants you to be saturated in the Word. Listen, dwelling on a passage, you understand, what do you mean by that? What I mean by is when life cuts you, you bleed Bible. When life slashes you, the blood that comes out is verses. You ask, honey, what does God's Word say about this trial we're going through? You're, you're saying, how can we attack this sinful behavior or this bent in our lives? Honey, how can God's Word guide us in this decision? And you're doing that with everything. It's the Word that's got to drive your life, not Google. Ah! So in order to be filled with the Spirit, dwell on a passage. Let it saturate your life. The second in the acrostic is the letter A. Be aware. Be aware. The passive voice of the verb be filled tells you you can't do it just as only Christ can live the Christian life through you only God can glorify God through you you need to continually be aware of who you are and who God is and be dependent upon him we don't realize how dependent we really are at best you're a vessel that God works through listen one of the best ways you see your own life is somehow I'm trying to be a, a video screen a vessel that God manifests himself through are you tracking with me that's the best way to look at your life, is I want Christ to be seen, not me. I want Him to be shown. You realize that Galatians 6.3, which is one of my life verses, really builds your self-esteem here. Because Paul, as he wraps up this letter, what does Galatians 6.3 say there in your outline? If anyone thinks that he is something, when he is what? Nothing. 
He's deceiving himself. You're nothing. Feel built up? You're to die to self. You're to pick up your cross. You're to surrender daily. You're to put no confidence in your flesh, your thoughts, your strength, your ideas, your abilities. Be aware of who you are. You're nothing. Christ is all to live is what? Christ. Say often in marriage. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it out loud if you have to. Lord, I can't. But you can through me. Always give the second because he can and he will if you're his child and you're filled with the Spirit. Sure you can't do it. I can't love that woman. I can't love that man. He smells. But Christ can through you. You say it's too tough, Chris. You're making fun, but it's way too hard. You know that God often allows trials, pains, and unbelievable hurts just so you're reminded about how dependent you really are. That you can't pull it off. Jesus could not have been more pointed when he said in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do what? Oh, say it like you mean it. Apart from me, you can do Now that's the Christian life. Nothing you and I will ever do for eternity will count unless two things are true. Listen, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Secular, sacred, doesn't matter. There's only two ways that something counts for eternity. Number one, you're filled with the Spirit, so it's His strength that accomplishes it. Number two, it's for His glory. The moment it's for your glory, the moment it's in your flesh, it doesn't count. It only counts for eternity when you're in the Spirit for the glory of God. That's what He's called us to. That's who we are. Be aware you can't do anything in your own strength. Some of you are halfway there. You go, I can't love my spouse. True, but God says, Paul says, the Spirit can love your spouse through you. You, say, you don't ground out obedience. You don't grind it out. No, you depend on the Spirit by His Word. You don't wait for a feeling. Don't wait for a feeling. Don't wait for a feeling. Listen, don't go down that road. Oh, I got to feel it. I got to delight in the Lord. No! You got to not wait. You act upon your will. You dependently obey. And then the feelings will come. Listen. Christianity is not do this, do that, do this, do that, do, 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 do. It's D period, O period. Depend and obey. Remember? Depend and step out in obedience. According to the word Christ accomplished it all. Christ did it. It's done. He said it's finished on the cross. Now you depend and obey. So your pass to the Spirit-filled life first starts with a passage where you're saturated in the Word. You're aware that you can't, God can. Thirdly, you will deal with sin. You will deal with sin. Deal with all known sin. S is sin. The third person of the Trinity that He dwells in you, He's called the what? Holy Spirit which tells you that he reacts to sin in your life. He's holy. That's why the scripture specifically points out how sin and how he reacts to sin ends up grieving and quenching the spirit. Let's look at both of those, grieving and quenching, and why we need to deal with sin. He, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, 
take a look at what grieving the Spirit is. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Along with that, that's a great marriage verse. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other in relationships and in marriage, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Obviously, the Spirit's feelings... And grieving are different than our emotions. He is and are a sovereign choice of his will where our feelings are typically reactions to circumstances. But there is a similarity in that as a person, our sin grieves him. Now, if you're a parent and you've had a child who made a really, really poor choice, you know what it's like to be grieved. You know that. And here the Spirit is grieved by your unwillingness to deal with disobedience to His Word. Specifically in Ephesians 4, He says two things. Misusing your tongue and not forgiving others. Is that ever an issue in marriage? Misusing your tongue? Come on, we should be laughing. But generally, sins of commission, sins which violate what you know to be true in His Word, sin grieves the Spirit. It also quenches Him. Now, early on in the apostolic church, as the apostolic era, uh, this baby church, Thessalonians, very young, he, he writes to them in First uh, Thessalonians 5.19, and he says, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. And what was happening, the Thessalonians were stopping the proclamation of God's Word in the early church. And the stopping, what they know that they should do, is a sin of omission, not doing what the Lord commands you to do, and that was quenching the Spirit, and the word quenching there means to put the fire out. They were actually stopping the Spirit from manifesting Himself and putting the fire out in their midst. And so the Holy Spirit will move you to deal with sin in your life. And we just showed you grieving is sins of commission. Quenching is sins of omission. So it's not only violating what the Scripture says, but it's also not doing what the Scripture commands you. So if you, know, you find yourself with a flat Christian and you're like, what's wrong in their life? And you look at their life and they're not really rebelling in any area, but what happens often in our culture is not doing anything. They're not serving Christ. They're not making disciples. They're not proclaiming the gospel. They're not living for Him as manifest in the world. And therefore, there's no fire. There's no manifestation of the Spirit. So it's not just not doing, but it's also pursuing Him that we are manifesting the Spirit of God. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit's going to move you to deal with sin. And all that, that regular confession where you're admitting to God that it was you and not Him, and repentance where you're turning from sin, that's a normal part of a healthy marriage. Can I say that again? A regular part of a healthy marriage. What? Confession and repentance. In fact, if you're not confessing and repenting, something's wrong. So strong relationships are sustained by the admission of sin and sincere giving of forgiveness. So it's past, you're immersed in the scripture with passage, you're aware that you can't but God must, you're dealing with all known sin, and finally the last two S's, number four, you're seeking to serve and to share. You're seeking to serve and to share. That's kind of laid out on the overhead if you were to study the New Testament teaching on spiritual gifts, you would discover that the word for spiritual gifts is the word spirituals, or that which is of the Spirit. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service within the body of Christ. And it's of the Spirit. So if you desire to see the Spirit manifested in and through your life, 
if you really wanted to be filled with the Spirit, then as a way of life, specifically serve the body of Christ. It's how you see the Spirit through you. He designed it that way. He gifted you at the moment of your salvation that you would then manifest Him and you should be about that process. If It's not if you have time. It's not if you have overcome all your problems and somehow you're living this you know, wonderful life or something like that. It's a part of becoming a godly Christian. It's serving. But even a step further, if you look at the book of Acts, and you find in Acts 4, Peter was filled with the Spirit, and then he gave testimony of Christ. And the early Christians in Acts 4 were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke of Christ with boldness. And then in Acts 9, they were filled with the Spirit, and they testified about Christ, causing us to conclude that the Spirit manifests Himself, especially when the proclaiming of the gospel is manifested in you, declaring the person and work of Christ to those who are without Christ. He energizes that. Now, I'm trying to make a point, and some of you are missing it. In the church, you want to manifest the Spirit, you serve others your giftedness. In the world, you want to see the Spirit be manifested, you share the gospel. Now, this is in total contrast to our society, which has massive ingrown eyeballs. Are you with me with this? Everybody's looking within. It's all about you. The answers are there, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think the answers are in any of you. All the answers are where? In this book. Anybody with me? And so understand, the Christian life is not about you walking around wanting to be blessed. It's almost as if Christians today have grabbed this giant spiritual bucket, and they're walking around, fill my bucket, fill my bucket, give me some blessing, come on, come on, give me some blessing, I want some blessing, just come on, let's collect them, come on, give me some, give me some, come on, let's go, I want some blessing here, I want to collect all the blessings, that's not what God has called you to. That's how the church is acting today. That's not what the church is designed to do. The church is not as a collection agency, as a Christian. You're now a hose. You want to spray everybody you can and bless them, serve them, share with them. And when you do that, are you ready? As you give yourself away, you're manifesting the Spirit. You're blessed. Are you tracking with me? As you give yourself away, you're blessed. As you try to collect everything, you dry up. It's about you giving yourself away. Here's the key. Spirit-filled marriages, write it down, are not about getting, they're about giving. They're about giving. You don't get married to get, you get married to give. To that, that person that you marry is your lifelong project. You give to them. They're not about satisfying your needs or meeting the needs of your, your spouse. You're, you're about meeting the needs of your spouse. That's how God blesses you. The Spirit of God has one thing. He only does one thing. He wants you to become like Jesus Christ. He tells us that repeatedly in the Word. If you're going to be like Jesus Christ, guaranteed, you're going to be a servant, right? Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And you're going to do what He did in the multitudes, share the gospel repeatedly. So you're going to serve others, like in the church. You're going to share the gospel if you're going to be like Christ. And that's what the Spirit of God wants you to do. So passage, aware, sin, serve, share, all those things. That's the pass to the incredible marriage. What's the most important command in marriage? It is to be filled with the Spirit. So you say, Chris, is it that good? Yeah, number five in your outline. What are the results of being filled with the Spirit? What are the results? Look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. It gives it, lays it out for you. I've got it here for you. And don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Mutual ministry, 
speaking to one another, mutual ministry in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Inner joy, singing and making melody with your heart, inner joy to the Lord. Gratitude, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Submission, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now you can see how being filled with the Spirit is laying the foundation for incredible marriage of Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. You can't really get to 22 until you deal with 15 to 21, and especially verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. What will your marriage be like if the husband and or the wife seek to be filled with the Spirit? Mutual ministry, inner joy, gratitude, submissiveness. Just six words in English, four words in Greek, but this phrase will transform your life, your marriage, and your friendships. Amen? Take it home. Letter A. Be filled with the Spirit is the most important command in marriage. Again, I just want to show you one more time, verses 21 and 22. It says, and be subject, verse 21, look at it, to one another in the fear of Christ. And then it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. What you can't see is that there is a connection between the verses. It is so strong that the verb submit in verse 22, as it often is in Greek, is assumed from verse 21. The instruction on marriage assumes being filled with the Spirit. The first command of marriage is to be filled. Next to your salvation, next to keeping your vow, is to be filled with the Spirit. That's the key. It should be the most important thing. In fact, let me help you maybe live this out. As a church, as leadership and lay leadership, we continue to remind our leadership, we are not going to, and it never happens, so I'm so thankful for that, but we're not going to engage anybody who's in the flesh. If somebody comes up and they're all fleshy, you know what I mean? I don't want to get detailed, but okay? They're just, you know, laying it out. They're mad. They're upset. Something. And they're blah, just throwing up verbally all over you. Ever seen that? Maybe you've done it. Okay, so our response will be, you know what? Right now we're not going to talk about this. We're going to wait until you can be filled with the Spirit and we can be filled with the Spirit. And you say, why would you do that? Won't that make them matter? Well, it might. But it's better that we don't dialogue in the flesh because how many of us have dialogued in the flesh and regretted everything we said? Amen? So we won't do it. Listen, marriages, don't dialogue in the flesh. Go cool off. Go open up your Bible. Take some time. Get in the Spirit. Depend on Him and then talk to each other. Then talk to each other. Don't do it. When you're in the flesh, nothing good occurs. Nothing. And that's the commitment you need. That's how important this is. Don't say, I got to fix my marriage. Say, I got to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, that leads us to the next point, letter B. Being filled with the Spirit is how you fix your marriage. As you're filled with the Spirit, again, the Spirit of God is wanting to make you like Christ. That's what he says in Romans 8.29. It declares that he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what the Spirit of God is going to do in your life, make you like Christ. As he does that, he's going to transform you, and then God then manifests himself. There is no microwave process, but as you're daily, moment by moment, filled with the Spirit, you develop a walk in the Spirit. Listen, when you're having an issue, an argument, or some tension in your home, you're filled with the Spirit. This is what you're doing. When you're in the flesh, you're trying to fix them. You're trying to fix the situation. 
In the Spirit, what you're trying to do is manifest Christ, and Christ fixes the situation. Even when they don't, even if they're not in the Spirit, you're manifesting Christ so then you have an opportunity for Him to be glorified. Does that make sense? That's what you're trying to do. And interesting enough, if you do that, you know, and again, it's moment by moment, so if you begin to do the pattern throughout every day that you're filled with the Spirit, you develop a walk in the Spirit. When you develop a walk in the Spirit, now it's become more of a habit. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.16, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You'll begin to deal with sin in an even greater way. And that's what He's called you to. When you walk in the Spirit is when you receive eternal reward. The ultimate wife, the amazing husband, is not the one who's trying to fix the relationship. It's the one who's trying to be filled with the Spirit and seeking every day to be filled. Let her see. Being filled with the Spirit requires salvation. You cannot be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 unless you've been converted from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. You were dead. You're now made alive. Listen, friends. Listen, if you have not believed that Christ came as God incarnate, that he died on the cross and suffered for your sin upon himself, that he is able to cover you in his righteousness and transform you internally so that now you're born again and dwelt with the Spirit of God and able to serve him, then you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to pull up Christian marriage. Christian marriage, according to Ephesians 5, is one of the greatest witnesses that we have to this watching world. When a husband and a wife get along, when saints and friends get along in the manner that we're talking about in the Spirit, it is an incredible thing for the world to see. And that's when they begin to marvel, like, I want that. I want to see that. We heard a couple of testimonies this morning. You heard the mom, the daughter this morning was just saying she watched her dad calmly respond to his own death, his own cancer, and that calmness and his rejoicing and his trust in the Savior is what actually broke her heart to bring her to Christ. Just because he responded in the Spirit. Just because he said, I'm trusting the Lord, and she went, whatever that is, I want it. That's our witness. You say, Chris... I need some help being a wife. What's the godly wife supposed to be like? What's the godly husband supposed to be like? What's a godly marriage supposed to be like? And for the answer to that, we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this great church family. Father, that we could celebrate you. We pray that you might draw a few to yourself, Father, that you would actually work in our lives, that we would work harder and harder to be dependent upon you, to be reliant, to let you work through us so you would glorify yourself and bring yourself great praise and great manifestation that we would see more of you and less of us. We pray that you would exalt yourself through this message that is so vital to our lives. We pray that you would be pleased with how we respond. We thank you and praise you for the way you're working in our midst, and we ask again that you would receive all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.